industry focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, December 2nd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's Wildcard Wednesday show, we're digging into the subscription economy. We'll talk about the markets and the companies within those markets investors should keep their eyes on, and maybe one or two that you shouldn't. Joining me this week is head analyst with My Wall Street, where their aim is to help you own your financial future through investing. You can learn more about them at mywallstreet.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at R-O-R-Y-C-A-R-R-O-N. That's right. It's Rory Karen. Rory, great to have you back. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it sounds like we've got a fun discussion teed up for uh, this week here. We've been talking over the past couple of weeks about the subscription economy, about all of these different services that have really come to the forefront of, of not only our lives as consumers, but really our lives as investors too. Um, you know, we've seen through the years, this evolution, there were a handful of subscription businesses out there that were automatic for a lot of folks. I mean, thinking things like Costco or, or Netflix. Uh, and, and as the secret got out, more companies started pursuing subscriptions. And now it really does seem like our lives uh, very much center around these subscriptions that we keep. Uh, let's, let's talk about some of the big picture sort of takeaways from this market. Uh, who, who, who do you feel like are the trendsetters in this market? What, what are some of the metrics that, that really dictate how this, how this shakes out for investors? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this last time I was on. We were talking about Apple in particular. You know, Apple has made a real move towards a subscription-based model. You know, they always had this large affluent customer base. But for years, they were depending on those customers to make those repeat purchases. You know, and the big question was always, how long is the upgrade cycle? How many phones can they you know, bang out every couple of years to get people yeah. to keep making that purchase? And you, know, you go back to Apple in 2015. This was a company that had literally the most profitable product ever released and the most valuable brand in the world. And they were trading, trading at like 2.5 sales, about 11 times earnings. Th- those are crazy low figures for the company that we saw of as Apple, you know, the the, yeah. the the prestige that that business had. You fast forward to today and Apple's trading at seven and a half times sales and 36 times earnings. And, you know, what changed in that time frame? There's two things really specific to Apple. Number one was they got into wearables and they're, they're the largest watchmaker in the world by a factor of four. Um, you know, so their wearable business, which includes AirPods and um, Beats, that company generated twenty billion dollars in two thousand nineteen. That's more revenue than McDonald's, more <laughs> revenue than more revenue than Netflix. Um, you know, if it was a standalone business, it would be one of the twenty most valuable companies in the world. Just Apple wearables. Oh yeah. The second thing that they did was they invested really heavily in the recurring revenue model. So everything from you know the iCloud to music, fitness. They've got the arcade coming now. They've got Apple TV. And so they bundle it all together and suddenly Apple's no longer one of these software-enabled hardware businesses, which is what it was for decades. Suddenly it's being priced like a software business. And now, you know, now you can get the phone as part of subscription. You know, the iPhone upgrade program uh, is, is a big thing now where you don't have to worry about when you're going to buy that next iPhone. It's just you pay a monthly fee and you get a new one every time a new one comes out and then you can add in this bundle. 
And, you know, you've created a whole new category then, you know, you've created Apple as a service. Um, yeah. I won't use the, I won't use the acronym. But. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's a good, I, I almost said it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point though. I mean, if you think about it, this really has become that ultimate razor and blade business, right? I mean, we talk about that razor and blade business model where you, you, you're selling that big piece of hardware or equipment and then the recurring sales that come from it. I mean, the iPhone really is that razor and, and, the blades just keep on selling any yeah. which way they want to package them. Absolutely. And then like, you know, another big player is Amazon, obviously Amazon leveraging its operational excellence and transactional space into the most successful subscription service ever conceived. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that a company is able to say to people, you know, give us a hundred dollars a year in order to purchase exclusively from our site. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that is the sales pitch. And it, and it works. <laughs> it, people absolutely love it. It's 82% of us households now have a prime subscription. That's more households than decorate a Christmas tree wow. in the U S you know, and I just got finished reading Scott Galloway's new book. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, he, he talks about the shift quite a lot and he kind of uh, talks about modern business kind of bifurcating into two different models. He uses the example of iOS and Android. So the iOS model is something that you you build and you say you sell it for more than cost and you get like a premium product. Whereas the Android model is you sell something below cost and then you give or sometimes you even give it away for free and you sell the consumer data to your actual customers, which is the advertisers, you know, it's yep. the old, uh, you know, if it's free, then you're the product kind of, uh, kind of thing. Um, and that, that model is becoming much more dangerous these days because the sheer amount of data is, is out there, you know, back in the Mad Men days, they could tell what kind of person you were, whether you, based on whether you read the New York Times or the National Enquirer, but they don't know everything about you. You know, every yeah. now they know everything about you. They know what time yeah. you wake up in the morning. They know what you have for dinner. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of, so there's a move, I think, away from that model of us being the consumer or us being the product, sorry, to us being the consumer and buying that better product and paying up for that better product. Uh, and, you know, it's not an easy business. It sounds easy. You know, it sounds easy to get people in the door and they get them to keep paying you. But, you know, you and me are both in subscription businesses. You know, it's- That's right, yeah. It's not, a, it's not that simple, you know, uh, Obviously, in terms of the metrics you want to look for, new sales, new subscriber growth is important. That's that's the demand that you're generating out there, uh, that's selling your value. But that's only the start of things. You know, then you have to get into retention, and this is where you demonstrate that value on a consistent basis. So retention is obviously very important. Churn is very important, um, and if you can find it. Uh, ARPU or average revenue per user is a great metric to look at, you know, especially if you can see a business increasing ARPU over time, that, that's a sign that the company has pricing power. It has a sign that they're possibly able to upgrade people to premium packages. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, there's certain things with ARPU you have to be wearful of. It's typically much higher in North America and Europe than in, in less developed markets. But if you can get a breakdown of that and see where that's trending, that's always kind of a good metric to look for in terms of uh, how, to, how to value a subscription business, how to look at subscription business for the long term. Yeah, that retention, I think, is really uh, that 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 to me is that's probably the bigger challenge. I think it, it obviously costs a lot more to get customers in the door, right? Customer acquisition costs mm -hmm. are typically a lot higher. And then maintaining that relationship over time can be really lucrative, but you have to really provide a compelling offering at a compelling price point. That retention, some markets I think are easier than others. And and, and so I, I think that that's kind of a nice segue into actually talking about some of these markets. And, and the first one that you wanted to shine a light on is, is one that we all have some exposure to in one way or another. It's in media, right? I mean, there are 
this has become just a phenomenal uh, market for subscriptions, given how we're getting all of our entertainment these days, how we're getting all of our media. Yeah, I mean, look, media subscriptions have been around for decades. You know, you had magazine subscriptions, newspaper subscriptions, uh, Columbia Record Club. I don't know if you remember yeah, I that remember one. That, absolutely. Uh, the 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 obviously the cable was a media subscription that most American households would have had interacted with. So it was natural that these were the kind of the first models that were looked at in the digital age. And Netflix is obviously being the prime example. Um, and in terms of like measuring Netflix, you know, you can look there. I have to give them bonus points for just how transparent they are in terms of the reporting figures. Now they do really break out their model very well. Yeah. It's a, it's a kind of, you know, we've built a better mousetrap, so we will explain it to you <laughs> rather than a lot of companies <laughs> that, uh, that don't. And, you know, ARPU wise, they bring in about $13 per, uh, per user in places like America and Canada, $11 in Europe, seven fifty in Latin America, $9 in um, Asia Pacific. And that ARPU is, is constantly kind of creeping up. Latin America looks like it dis- it's declining, but on a, on a neutral currency basis, it's actually growing. And as a business, you know, we've seen in some markets they've hit saturation, but they still forecast and there's 6 million members for the coming quarter. That's 20% year over year growth. That's, that's not to be a, that's not to be a scoffed at with a company this size. Not at all. Like, Netflix is just a fantastic offering. You know, you break Netflix down for every $1 you spend with Netflix every month, you're getting about a billion dollars worth of content. And that's, <laughs> that's true. And, it's, and it can be watched at your leisure from the comfort of your couch ad free. You know, yeah. it's a great, great um, model. Uh, obviously being uh, looked at by a lot of other players at the moment, Amazon, Apple, the smaller players, you know, and, I think the way I see this area going is there will be multiple subscriptions. They're always, you know, we're, we're, we're never going to have one big player that just dominates the entire market. Yeah. What you'll probably have is one kind of anchor uh, subscription that every household has, you know, whether it's Netflix or Amazon, the ones that are offering kind of the most broad range um, in terms of the, the content that's there. And then you'll have the kind of more niche ones. You'll have Disney for the kids. You might have an ESPN one for sports. And then further down, you might, be particular programs that you'll like that you'll go to HBO for, or maybe you'll go to Peacock for. And all these companies have different kind of models that they're looking at. But I do think Netflix is the the top dog um, and will remain. So uh, I think a lot of the, the smaller players may end up just selling back to Netflix when they figure out that, you know, they can't really compete. They can't amortize their costs across their, their subscriber base the way Netflix can. So um, Netflix are always going to be in a lead position in that. Yeah. Uh, Spotify is another media subscription darling. They've, they're interesting because they've got a mix, you know, they've got the premium subscription, but they've also got a free ad supported platform. Um, and with Spotify, we can actually see the big divergence in terms of subscription versus advertising. They've got 144 million subscribers, 185 million ad supported monthly active users but they make about 1.7 billion off their subscription business each quarter. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that's the driver of that business, isn't it? Oh, it's like, it's, it's $1 in ARPU per advertising MAU versus 12 and a half uh, euros. Sorry, not dollars because they're important euros, but it's a 12 and a half X when it comes to, you know, pushing people over to that subscription model. And Spotify's, it's been making a lot of interesting moves recently because a big problem it's always had was, it lacked that control over costs. You know, they, they were always yeah. trying to, they always had to pay that, those royalty payments. And they're trying some interesting things to try and wrestle control of those costs back. I've seen recently, they started offering an actual smaller cuts to right holders in exchange mm-hmm. for placement. 
Um, they're also moving hard into podcasting. And uh, I think it's Ben Thompson of Techery had some really interesting ideas of how they could do that, how they're going to drive people to not necessarily uh, signing up to this a premium model for podcasts but just getting people to use that platform because then they can what they could create like a centralized podcasting advertising uh unit within spotify that would kind of be similar to kind of google ads yeah uh, so that's that's a really interesting move that they met they're they're making and, and they're doing it in a clever way with their various exclusive deals and and really are kind of capturing a huge share of that podcast market it so feels to me like that spotify as a, i'm a spotify subscriber we we have the family plan in our house and i mean we all love it like i, I feel like if 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 you're going to take away one subscription you can say you can either keep netflix or keep spotify i think we would probably end up keeping spotify actually now that's probably because even if we got rid of netflix we have a million other ways to stream video but really i mean spotify is i mean that is just the clear leader in that music space i mean apple music notwithstanding I mean, apple music's a wonderful offering i mean it's obviously got its own its own uh user base spotify really does eclipse it totally and and the problem in spotify when we talk about problems you just mentioned the other big one which is apple and they're kind of stranglehold over the platform that is ios which is yeah. uh taking that 30 percent off them and um, yep. But Spotify, I mean, again, you're talking just about a brilliant product offering. You think about what was before, you know, that, that you'd pay $15, $20 for a physical disc that had maybe 20 songs on it and would get scratched <laughs> within a couple of weeks and you'd never be able oh, to play yeah. it again versus every song that's ever been recorded in the world at your disposal on multiple devices whenever you want to, for $10 a month. Incredible. Like, it is. Just, I've yeah. seen, you know, I've, I've seen a chart and I've shown this to, to members before, but it goes all the way back, I think, to 2000, maybe even a little bit earlier. But it shows the it shows the evolution of the of the music space and how it went from purely physical ownership of the music, whether it was a cassette tape or a CD, to slowly but surely in in, in now here in 2020. I mean, digital music and streaming is is absolutely the only the only end game here right i mean it, it, physical ownership of the music seems to be just a, a dwindling priority for consumers yeah i mean it's found some love with the the kind of retroness with the vinyls and things like that but yeah. um for, for mass consumers it's all digital now and yeah. and the music industry industry has had to adopt to that you know and it's gone from being someone who sells music to someone who promotes music and promotes, you know, live entertainment more than, more than selling those CDs, uh, which is obviously taken a, may be made much harder by the recent pandemic, but they'll figure it out. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think a lot of the music industry is, is worried about Spotify. They are, they're the ones in control of distribution now. That's a very powerful place to be in. So, uh, Extremely. so watch that space. I'm, I'm, I'm quite bullish on Spotify, even though they have quite a lot of problems in terms of their cost and, and, and how they get that music, how they get those rights paid for. Yeah. And um, one of the other ones I, I, I find interesting is the New York times. You know, I, I, we're, we're talking about way more old school now, but um, <laughs> I remember seeing David Gardner recommend the New York times talk about four years ago. And I, I thought he cracked, you know, I thought I was like, <laughs> why is, why is he doing like, this was a company that was just hemorrhaging subscribers, you know, advertising dollars were going down the toilet and you know, look where it is now. It's up about fivefold in that time frame. Yeah. They successfully moved to a subscription model. They leveraged th those differentiated assets that they have that no one else can re can can replicate. 
And 2017 was, was the first time they generated more subscription revenue than advertising revenue. And they just haven't looked back. And the, what's amazing is the ARPU is huge. The, you know, they, they don't break it down, but it kind of fluctuates a lot based on promotion. But you think of someone paying $15 every four weeks, that's generating only $200 a year. Um, and I think they have more pricing power than maybe any of the companies because they could easily up that to $18, $20. And I don't think they get a, a huge amount of churn. It's just a brilliant, brilliant product. Uh, they've got 7 million subscribers at the moment. It's, their digital subscriptions are growing about 45% year over year. Wow. So it's a really remarkable turnaround story um, at the old, uh, the gray lady. Um, <laughs> and then you know, one of the more interesting ones is Roku. Roku is a stock I've always really liked. It's not a subscription business in itself, but by becoming the kind of platform where all the um, video streamers are going to, it can create an area where people can manage all those subscriptions in particular. You know, you think about uh, a household with multiple different subscriptions. They want to be able to watch them all from one place. And more importantly, they want to be able to cancel some and subscribe to others in an easy way, have it all built through one function. So Roku's kind of the, the streaming service that's tying them all together or the platform that's tying them all together. So that's another one I really like in kind of the media space that's more of a kind of pick and shovel play than, than, uh, than Netflix or Amazon in terms of actually delivering the content. Yeah, it's the enable, right? I mean, that's the yeah. gatekeeper. It's, it allows you the it, it gives us the luxury to be able to go in there and subscribe. And I mean, that's a very powerful position to be in, particularly as uh, I mean, people move away from that relationship with the cable company and having to have that cable box. I mean, now you don't need that. And I, I tell you, it's it's a beautiful thing because once you've been able to cut the cord, so to speak, and, and not have to deal with the cable company. You can choose the technology that goes in your living room, and it, it, it just makes for a far better customer experience. And clearly, yeah. Roku is, is onto something there. Not many people know as well. That used to be a, a Netflix product. It was yeah, spun out of Netflix. Yeah. Um, I remember so that. It's going to be a Netflix box at one point. But yeah, uh, yeah, I remember those days. Man, that was so long, <laughs> so long ago. And look at both companies now today, just successfully, yeah. uh, just just navigating such a such a competitive space on their own in in uh, two different ways, but 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 obviously uh, ways that are working. Um, second market here, and and this is this may seem a little bit uh, counterintuitive, I guess I don't know, but but it it has really sprung up here these past couple of years. Is is in retail? Talk about some of the subscription offerings in retail these days. Yeah, we already talked about Prime. That's the obvious one everyone everyone thinks about. Sure. Um, you know, and eighty. You know, it said eighty two percent of households have it. I don't know eighty two percent of anyone that does anything of it. <laughs> you know, try try and find that level of agreement on anything in this world. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's darn but, near uh, impossible. <laughs> yeah, and like Prime's just a brilliant flywheel for that business. Prime users spend two point five times as much with Amazon a year as non Prime users, and that grows every single year. So that's like the gold standard when it comes to a retail subscription. And um, we've just started seeing it here in Ireland where uh, it wasn't really the same, hadn't really got the same benefits as it would have had in the US because obviously we're not, you know, we haven't got, they haven't got the infrastructure over here yet. But I see more and more people in the UK and Ireland with prime subscriptions now. It seems like a no brainer. And yeah. what else can they do with it? You know, like it's, it's infinite, isn't it? Like there's nothing they can't do with it. And there's nothing that you would be surprised at them doing with it. Um, prime health is going to be a very interesting offering. Yeah, uh, I imagine I could imagine Amazon offering free COVID nineteen tests to every Prime member. You know, delivered to your door, collected, brought to you. We'll send. We'll email you the results. That's that's not without the outside the imagination of someone like Jeff Bezos. And now that they've gotten full into healthcare with PillPack, 
I, I'm just so excited to see where Prime is going to go in future years. Um, it's an amazing driver. It's an amazing just, driver. Just amazing. And, and no, no one could have ever predicted it as well. It's one of those things that just completely broke every model, isn't it, when it came to Amazon? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, Costco, <laughs> Costco as well. It's, it's had that membership program for years. They just juice the price of that every year with, with very little, um, very little kickback. Uh, and now obviously it's, I don't know why it's taken so long, but Walmart's getting into the space and that's going to be yeah. very interesting to see what they, they're offering at the moment. It's free delivery, five cent per gallon off fuel and a kind of scan as you go through your phone um, functionality. But again, there's so much optionality with that business. What happens when they bring in the whole pets business? You know, I know you're a Chewy's fan. Sure. I think uh, Walmart Plus are going to aim at that pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the kind of th- the, the big retailers that are getting into it. Looking further down at kind of more niche stuff, you know, Stitch Fix is a company we've been keeping quite an eye on. They've got 3.8 million members. They're trying to kind of move from a from a from into into a subscription business, trying to get people to become much more recurring. Um, members of that club uh, I think that's hard it's a harder sell definitely than just the overall retail subscription package isn't it because there's so much more you think about with kind of clothing and, and people have their own styles and their own tastes and time people buy clothes at kind of various times in their lives you know it's, sometimes it's kind of retail therapy more than anything just getting the box <laughs> is that the is that what people really want are they going to miss the, the going into the store trying things on um, experience and and the other one is Trunk Club, which is owned by Nordstrom. And that's actually, I think, an even more interesting play because unlike Stitch Fix, they actually just have the stock sitting there. You know, that's yeah. just, they, they, they can just take whatever they need off the shelf and send it out to you. They don't need to, to be buying it in like Stitch Fixes and hoping that the stylists get it right every time. So there are two kind of the retail businesses I'm keeping an eye on. Always interested to see what Nordstrom is going to do because they have been absolutely pummeled during this COVID-19 thing. And there's so much going for that business in terms of operational excellence and the retail that they're sitting on in terms of the brand. So if they can pivot into some form of subscription business, whether it's through Trunk Club or whether it's through Nordstrom Rack, I think that could be a business that could see a nice turnaround going coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, I've always felt, I mean, fashion retail to me, I mean, that that's, that's a, a much more sort of niche offering that is going to it's not going to be that big, massive market opportunity. It's it's going to be pockets of, of uh, varying tastes here and there. It's always struck me as as a nice offering as opposed to something like a pure play. I think that that was always why Stitch Fix, Stitch. I, I've always been on the fence with Stitch Fix because I, I I understand the concept. I like the model. I like the idea. It, it's always I've, I've always kind of wondered about the the staying power, the sustainability of it. Versus something like a Nordstrom, where you know they're just basically leveraging something that they've already got. It's it's adding something more to to what they already have. Seems probably a little bit easier to do, and and maybe not as the success or, or however they measure success just isn't as crucial as as, as something like a, a Stitch Fix, which is I, I would I would say is more of a pure play, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You have to, I think with a lot of these subscription businesses, what you can find is it's the companies that aren't reliant on it, especially when it comes to delivering boxes and things like that. Um, if it's something that you can do as a side gig, great. <laughs> if you're yeah. if you're completely relying on those boxes and, and particularly with Stitch Fix's model, which is, you know, it's anticipating returns all the time because you're never going to get 100% right, right? So oh, yeah. that's that yeah. that's a hard sell to make and, and and that requires kind of more costs than uh, than than maybe some of the the more digital subscriptions 
subscription businesses that you're thinking of. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's take a look at the third market here, but this is one that would line up very well with our Monday financial show. And, and it actually, you know, there, I know there's a company in here that you want to speak to that, that we've talked a little bit about recently on the, on the financial show here, but insurance, um, something everybody needs, whether it's for your home or for your car or for your health or whatever else. Uh, but, but we're seeing more and more businesses jumping into this, uh, this market with sort of a different take on, on how their business models work ultimately. Yeah. The first time I came across this, it's a funny one, isn't it? But the first time I came across is when we looked into a business called Trupanion. Yeah. Uh, And that was maybe four or five years ago. We looked at this business and what we liked about Trupanion was that we saw that the pet pet insurance was a really underserved market in the U S uh, I think it was 1% of pets in the US where it was insured, whereas in places like Scandinavia, for example, 25% of all pets were insured. Wow. So so this didn't really make sense to us because Americans love their pets, don't they? I mean, they are, they are big into their pets. <laughs> and we are. <laughs> pet bills are expensive. So are, you know, yeah. why, why weren't Americans taking out pet insurance? So that was a question that we looked at for a while. And it seemed to be just a just a... A, a marketing problem. It just seemed to be that it just wasn't sold right. Um, so like True Panion was this company that was really repackaging insurance. Uh, first of all, it was a monthly subscription um, and they were selling it through vets offices and online. Uh, and now a few years later, they have half a million pets on a subscription service. They're generating $60 per month per pet on Holy average. Cow. And they have 98% retention rates. So that was one of these subscription businesses that we just really liked. We were like, this is a, this is a great, great business. And, and it's, it's, it went flat for a couple of years. It's had a big bump over the last couple of months. Um, and so that was our first kind of look at a company taking the insurance premium model. Like, like there's no difference. You call it a premium or call it a subscription, but one seems to sell a lot better. And, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, you see it. I mean, I, 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 just got our, uh, I just got our automobile insurance renewal email the other day from Progressive. And you get the opportunity to pay for it. We pay for it every six months. And you can either pay for the six months up front, or you can stretch that out over six monthly payments. You're going to pay a little bit more for that monthly payment option as as opposed to paying it all at once. But ultimately, I mean, that's what that is, right? That's a subscription business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the other company I want to talk about, I think this is the one you were, you were referencing is Lemonade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, one of the things we looked at quite a lot is the Uberized consumer. Um, so by that, I mean, this was a, a term that was coined by, I think, uh, Zillow CEO back when they launched Zillow Offers. He talked about this Uberized consumer who was willing to pay up or take less in terms of monetary um, benefits yep. for convenience. So just the convenience of being able to do something over your phone or over the internet, not having to fill out forms, not having mm-hmm. to talk to agents. He talked about that Uberized consumer. And Lemonade was a business we thought was really interesting and that they were really going after this particular consumer for insurance, which is something that young people don't like. They don't want it. It's, it's got a bad rep um, because it's one of those things. It's just, it's just a chore. It's, you know, and, and you're, you're paying up front for something that you may never see the benefit of. Yeah. Uh, so Lemonade was this business following this model again, turning it from a, pre- a premium to a subscription model they're focusing on renters insurance, home insurance, and, and, and more recently, pet insurance. 
Um, but it's all done through mobile. There's AI bots involved. They've got over a million um, customers at the moment, mostly under 35, mostly first-time buyers. And you know the, the, the business model is you get those people when they're young, when they're paying renters insurance, they turn into homeowners and they're going to be playing a higher premium. You lock them into that brand. You make them feel part of a community. I think they, they give some money back as well to, to, for charitable donations. And yeah. that's just a, a model I really like. I think it's really disruptive and, and it's got that kind of cool innovation that everyone wants to be part of, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I think you, 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 you keyed in on something I think that matters a lot, particularly for younger generations coming up. It's, it's mission-driven companies. It's companies that stand for something more, right? I mean, you want to feel good about the companies that you're giving your money to. And, and uh, I, I don't, I mean, that, that, I think that's always been a priority to, to some extent, but, but I think it's, it's something that's becoming more and more of a focus. And I think companies are finding that that, that can be a really good retention tool, right? I mean, yeah. when you're proud of, I mean, who's going to say I'm proud of my insurer, but you look at a company like Lemonade and that's kind of what they're trying to, <laughs> trying to do is say, hey, we, we want you to be proud of the fact that you get your insurance through us because this is what we stand for and this is what we're doing. Yeah, at the start, it seemed to me like a kind of a marketing gimmick, but the more I read into it, they they have thought this through. This They found that this um, means that people make fewer kind of spurious claims or, you know, they they they, uh, they don't claim as often yeah. and they do feel a kind of part of a community when they see, you know, it's only a very small amount. I think, I think it was only over a million they donated last year to various charities, but it still makes them feel part of, there's something bigger than just an insurance company. No doubt, no doubt. And, and, and certainly with a market like insurance, any chance you have to help the consumer feel just a little bit better about it, uh, that, that's, that's a big win for sure. Um, what, so let's take a look real quick just before we start wrapping up here, because there's some IPOs coming out. And I mean, it's been just, uh, it, we've, we've seen a lot of news coming out with IPOs here recently. We've got a couple of companies that are on the horizon here that you've been looking at. And, uh, and, and, and those, those subscription models have piqued your interest, huh? Yeah, well, there's one there's one that's still in the insurance uh, area that I've only learned about a few weeks ago. It's been taken public through a SPAC with Mark Cuban and the king of SPACs, uh, Chamath Palihapitiya. Ah, yeah. uh, it's called uh, Metro Mile. Um, so really quick read up in this company. So they're doing they're doing auto insurance, and what they're doing is charging a monthly flat fee. I think it's as low as twenty nine dollars a month, and then you pay six cent for every mile you drive. And they claim they can save drivers an average of over seven hundred dollars a year. So that's that's still a very small business. I think it's only operating in eight states. But like again, switching over from premium to subscription model, doing something a little different. So that's that's a very interesting business. Um, yeah, what, the what? other. Yeah, look at Geico. Uh, the other, um, the other two that I've really had my eye on is first of all Roblox. I think is is one of the most interesting S ones I've read in a long time. There's you know there's been a movement into gaming as a service as well. This whole yeah. uh, pay a subscription to play a game. I think the CEO of King Digital a few years ago, the guys who make Candy Crush, found that they were able to increase revenues like thirty five percent just by removing advertising and moving everyone over to a pay as you go. Uh, subscription. So gaming wow. as a service is very interesting. Roblox, the, the stat I heard on Roblox was 75% of uh, children aged 9 to 12 in the US play Roblox. That uh, seems very believable. It really? I mean, I've, I'm <laughs> not in America. Weird. I don't have kids, so I don't I don't know. But that's outrageous. Again, what 75% cohort does anything? <laughs> Just, yeah, that's special. Yeah, but they so they've got their internal currency, Robux, um, 
<laughs> kind of a sneaky little currency conversion trick where they uh, <laughs> where they sell it for like a thousand robux for ten bucks, and then they convert oh, it back man. out at like two hundred and fifty robux or something. So it just makes me think. You ever watch The Office? Yeah, the yeah, American like, version of the office. With yeah, the, yeah. The shrewd buck. Shrewd bucks, yeah. <laughs> and Stanley Nichols. <laughs> it was that was oh, great. Yeah. Um, so Robux is a company, they've got a subscription service where uh, you know, depending on what price you pay, you get cheaper Robux. It's a you know, you get more of the currency for less, essentially. Uh that's that's definitely an interesting one. And then a strange one because of I'm not a big fan of the whole ride hailing food delivery gig worker companies I've never recommended any of those businesses but i did read the s1 of doordash recently and that was that's an interesting business they they're not a subscription business yet one of the kind of things that they highlighted in that s1 was this desire to get kind of a membership program where you could access local businesses uh with kind of the operational ex- excellence of doordash kind of behind that delivering products to your door so that's one that I'm going to definitely keep an eye on. I would kind of separate it from the Uber Eats, Postmates kind of um, businesses just because they seem to have that kind of ambition to get to a subscription program like that. Yeah, that uh, seems like a, a compelling differentiator there. Yeah, and they've really, I mean, they're they're an interesting business that they've they've really got local locked up quite well in a way that I, I, I thought there was going to be a lot more market share for Uber Eats in that whole area, but but no, they've, they're owning that market at the moment. Wow. Well, what so we've talked about all of these great subscription businesses these ideas uh i mean it clearly some are better than others what what are what are some subscription businesses out there or or a market in the subscription business uh area that you think investors should avoid uh well there's one really obvious one is there that blue apron (laughs) (laughs) the meal kit market was uh was just one of those slow, slow car crashes or train wrecks more like that you just couldn't keep your eyes off. Um, and there's a couple of things like, yeah, to keep an eye out for. I think, you know, when you talk about, when you're looking at a subscription business, it's interesting to look at their costs in particular. If you've got a company that has um, zero marginal costs, for example, that's a great subscription business. If, you sure. can, if, if you've got a business where you've built it already, it doesn't matter whether 10 people use it or 10 million people use it, there, that's where you want to be at. Um, so those digital subscription businesses are great. Any company where you have to increase costs, where your costs scale with your users, that's something that you need to look out for. Uh, the meal delivery business was one that just never made sense. I didn't really see what where they were um, aiming that product at all. Uh, you're talk- They were aiming at kind of upwardly mobile people who had no food in their fridge. Yeah, I'd never met those people who, who <laughs> didn't want to go or who weren't eating out every night anyway. Um, so there didn't seem to be any market for that. At one point, the CEO said they were going to be in 99% of kitchens. Um, crazy, crazy ideas out there. It's... And any, any of those businesses are just offering kind of boxes of food with no real personalization. Uh, I would definitely steer clear off. That just doesn't seem to be a model that works at the moment. I'm sure someone will figure it out at some point. Uh, but for the moment, just doesn't doesn't seem to appeal to anyone. Okay, well, we'll leave it at that. Rory, thanks so much for coming back and talking shop. Hope you have a great holiday season. Yeah, you too, man. Okay, remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. Or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, or the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Rory Karen, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.